18. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sea of Gates, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, in which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been in infield for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been left, had been in condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the infield replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up her mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He walked up his mat and walked. A day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry a mat. But he replied, The man who made him made me well said to me, Pick up our mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow you told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. But Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The men went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working for this reason. They tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Thank you. I invite you, if you have a Bible, to. Uh, open it up uh, to join along with me. If you don't have a Bible, I know there's some in the pews in front of you. The Gospel of John is the fourth uh, book in the New Testament, uh, and we're in chapter 5. Before I jump in, if you have a Bible open, or maybe if you're paying attention, you notice something. So I'm just going to address it now because I don't want to do it during the sermon. Uh, where did verse 4 go? Did you notice that? There's no verse 4. Uh, if you have a Bible open, some, I think the NIV and the ESV both do this. I know those are translations that many of you use. Uh, has a little footnote at the bottom of your Bible that says some of our best manuscripts do not have this, these verses. Uh, so the reason that it's not in your Bible is because some of our best manuscripts don't have this verse. So here, what you need to know is that there are men and women who devote their entire academic careers to studying the passages, the texts, uh, the fragments that we have received that come to us 
in order for us to have the New Testament and the Old Testament in the version that we have it today. Uh, and there are all kinds of rules that they have developed over time to help them discern what do we think is actually what the scripture taught and what are the things that got added later. As best as we can figure, a scribe, someone who was copying the Bible, physically copying the Gospel of John at some point, made a note in the margin that said, oh, back in that day they thought an angel would come and that that angel would stir the water and that whoever was the first person to go into the water would be healed. That's what verse 4 says. Uh, and so at some point, you know, you're, one person wrote it and then the next person's copying it. And the rule was that if it was in there, you copied it. And so they ended up copying it. And at some point, it worked its way from being a margin note to being in the actual text of John, which is why some of, our, some of the textual tradition has that verse. Uh, I'll make reference to it in passing, uh, but think of that as extra context, but it's not part of what we believe. Uh, or at least what people much smarter than me believe is the Gospel of John, the actual textual of the Gospel of John. Um, all right, so let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are uh, here this morning because we want to hear from your son Jesus and what it is that he has to say to us um, about the sign, this next sign that he performs as we're considering the different things that he has done. Uh, help us to see... Uh, um, the sign, but not just to see the sign, to see Jesus. Uh, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, so we're in this series that I'm calling the signs and sayings of Jesus because Jesus performed signs. This is what the Gospel of John tells us. He performed many signs in order to be able to help us to believe. John writes some of these signs down. He writes Jesus' sayings down in order to help us believe in Jesus. Two weeks ago when we started this series, I gave you four reasons why I've been uh, really looking forward to working my way through this series with you. Uh, first of all, as disciples of Jesus, we need to know the story of Jesus. Uh, and so coming back to the gospel accounts is a really wonderful way for us to familiarize or re-familiarize ourselves with the stories that the gospel writers have given us about Jesus. And right now what we're doing is we're very focused on looking at the signs that he performed and the I am statements that he makes in the Gospel of John and how they shed light on who he is. Uh, secondly, the reason that we're in the series is because we need these signs and sayings of Jesus in order to help strengthen our faith. Some of us are here this morning and we're in the early stages of, of a journey of faith, uh, maybe not yet at the point of having believed in Jesus. These signs are provided for you in order to help you believe that Jesus is who he said that he was. Some of us uh, are further down the journey of faith. We've been Christians for uh, a while, maybe a long time. Maybe we don't remember a day when we didn't know who Jesus was. But we also need the signs to help strengthen and deepen our faith. Third, it, uh, many of us, all of us know people who don't follow Jesus. And we might enter into spiritual conversations with them about who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus, uh, who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus did. So by coming back to the story of Jesus, my hope is that you will be, uh, feel strengthened and better equipped to be able to have spiritual conversations with people in your life. And then third, excuse me, not third, fourth, 
perhaps those spiritual conversations are at a point where you might consider inviting somebody to church. And so we're in the series in John in part so that you know, hey, if I bring somebody to church, they're, they're going to hear us talk about Jesus uh, and why we believe Jesus is so important. Uh, so we are now in the third sign of the signs that we're considering. The first sign we looked at was Jesus turning water into wine. The second sign was Jesus healing uh, the official's son. And in each of those signs, we, we are given some vantage point, some view, a little glimpse into the glory of Jesus. So when he turned water into wine, we said that the, 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 the jars that he used, the purification jars that he used were symbolic, pointing to the idea that he was going to bring purification. When we looked at the official son being healed, remember that the, Jesus was a day's journey from where the boy was sick, and yet when he spoke, the boy was healed. And so we, we saw there that the one who spoke uh, things at the beginning of time, who spoke and things were at the beginning of time, spoke again, and a young boy was healed. Today we're looking at the story of a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, be healed, and here we're going to see that Jesus has the authority of God. Okay? All right, so the story goes like this. Jesus is back in Jerusalem. It's interesting, if you follow the Gospel of John, Jesus really is moving back and forth between the region of Galilee, which is up by the Sea of Galilee, and Jerusalem. So he's back in Jerusalem. There's a festival that is about to be celebrated. We're not told what the festival is. And he goes to this part of the city of Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate. This was one of the several gates that led, your, led you into the city. And by this particular gate, there was a pool. And this pool was known as the Pool of Bethesda. That name rings a bell to you. It might be because there's a naval hospital on the East Coast that has the name of Bethesda Naval Hospital. Uh, this pool was the place where you would go. And the, the word stands for house of healing. Um, you'd go to Bethesda if you were sick. Uh, what uh, John tells us is that those who could not see, those who could not walk, and those who could not even move were gathering there. Now, more than likely, that's not just that only those people were there, but we're given those three groups of people in order to help us see that anybody who had some kind of chronic illness or disability would, would gather at this place because they believed that at this place they could be healed. And uh, when you understand the context, right, verse 4, that we, I mentioned earlier, right? The, the way they thought about it was that there was an angel that would come and stir the water. And when the water was stirred, you could go in and be healed. So I want you to just meditate and think about this. Like, let your imagination go here a little bit, right? Imagine a place in the ancient world where you have lots of people who have a chronic illness, chronic disability. Uh, and understand that uh, if, if you kind of like think through that, right, you realize that in the ancient world, for sure, if you have chronic illness, chronic disability, that often, not always, but often, that is accompanied with poverty. Uh, and so this is a scene of real human suffering. This is a scene of real brokenness. And what we see that Jesus even going there is a sign of the compassion that Jesus has for people with physical needs. We see this again and again in his ministry, but here 
you see him uh, going out of his way to go to the pool of Bethesda. Uh, the man that we're going to meet here in a second has been uh, unable to walk for 38 years. Life expectancy was in the 40s. So, so you imagine, this is a man who is thinking, I'm nearing the end of my life and I will never be able to walk. We don't know if he was born uh, unable to walk. We don't know what the circumstances are. Uh, Jesus will speak a little bit to that, and we're going to consider that together. Uh, so this is verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I try to get in, someone gets down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Um, what's, what's really jumped out to me as I was reflecting on this passage uh, last week, uh, and really I've been reflecting on it for a couple weeks now, uh, is, is Jesus, as he approaches the man, begins by dealing with the man's physical condition. Uh, he, he begins by dealing with the physical need. He's going to address the spiritual need. We're going to see that in a second. But he begins by dealing with the physical need. And as I, and I started thinking about it more and more, I was like, I was struck by the teaching of Scripture, uh, talking about how God's people, those who follow Jesus, his disciples, should have heart, hearts of mercy. Uh, and uh, as you, as you kind of like begin to meditate on that, you realize that part of what happens here is that Jesus is uh, moving past Things that, for many of us, are obstacles that keep us from showing mercy to those in need. For example, uh, the obstacle of time. So Jesus is in Jerusalem for a festival. Jesus is a rabbi. Uh, there are people that would have wanted uh, to spend time with Jesus. And yet Jesus intentionally goes to the pool of Bethesda. Uh, time is an obstacle that... Uh, many of us have, right? When you think about like having a desire to, to show mercy, uh, having a desire to care for the needs in the city, uh, we all recognize, right? And, and I, I, I'm speaking of myself here first and foremost, that time seems to be a real obstacle that stands in the way. Uh, it is just, it's easier, right, to give money than it is to give time. Uh, and yet Jesus here is saying, we need both. Um, the second obstacle that we face that Jesus seems to move straight through uh, is what I'm going to call the obstacle of space. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using my redemptive imagination a little bit right now, okay? But I'm imagining that this is a scene of real need. I'm imagining that this is a scene where you have many people who are, uh, who have got serious chronic ongoing illnesses and disabilities, and that if, if you were to walk to the pool of Bethesda, that you and I would be overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of the need. Uh, I, um, I recently had the opportunity to go across the border with World Relief to uh, go um, to a church that is uh, housing lots of people that are seeking uh, 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 refugee status or immigrant status to be allowed to come into the United States. Uh, and and uh, it, it is overwhelming, right? The, the human need, when you are in a place 
of significant human need. It is a emotionally, spiritually, and at times even physically overwhelming experience, which is why, right, oftentimes, like, places that make us uncomfortable, places that make us feel unsafe, like, we, we tend to avoid those places, right, because they make us uncomfortable, because they make us feel unsafe. Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda. The third obstacle uh, that Jesus moves right through, but it's an obstacle that we face, is the response of the man. Uh, we're, we're jumping ahead here a little bit, but when you get to verse 14, what you realize is that when Jesus comes back to the man, there's a, there's a break in their interaction, uh, and then Jesus comes back to the man a little bit later in, in the temple, and there Jesus begins to address his spiritual need and talks to him about the nature of his sin and the man, we're going to see what happens in a little bit, but the man rejects Jesus. And yet Jesus is going to go on and heal other people. Uh, in fact, if, if, uh, in just a few chapters, we're going to see Jesus performing more miracles of healing. And yet, you know, if I'm honest, right, if, if, if I kind of have like a bad interaction, right, it, it creates a wall in my heart that makes it harder for me to serve again. And you know, what we see is Jesus is, is he's moving past these obstacles, and it's, and it's instructive for us as disciples of Jesus. What you see here is that Jesus, remember I talked last week about um, how our identity flows into the values that we have, how our values then shape our attitudes, and then our attitudes then inform our behaviors. What we see here is that Jesus' identity as the Son of God, Jesus' identity as the Messiah, allows him to have a value for people that shapes the way that he does ministry. We uh, aspire to be a church that cares for the needs of San Diego, right? You just, David was just up here praying a city prayer. This is a regular part of our rhythm uh, in, as a life uh, in the life of our church. Um, we need one another to help us overcome those obstacles that will stand in the way of us being disciples of Jesus and caring for the needs of others. And I, I'll be honest with you, like, uh, Jesus has been having a lot of fun with me over the last couple of weeks on this front. Uh, where, where I was, for another thing, reading a different account of Jesus healing on a Sabbath, uh, and just recognizing, like, man, my, I have allowed some of these obstacles to prevent me personally from having a posture of service towards those in need that is indicative of those who are seeking to be disciples of Jesus. So, like, this has, like, been messing with me for the last week and a half. I've, had, I've shared this with some of you in different conversations. Uh, and I think that uh, it should mess with all of us. Right? How, how are we not just going to uh, have a statement on a website that says we care for the city, but how are we actually going to flush that out in following the example of Jesus? Now, uh, it's only at this point that we're given a very important piece of information about what's happening. Uh, it's only at this point that we're told that it's the Sabbath. Uh, if you know the story of Jesus, if you're familiar with uh, the gospel accounts, then you know that one of the real 
tension points that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day was the fact that he was violating the rules that they had erected around what was or was not allowed during the Sabbath. In fact, the religious leaders had established 39 rules, 39 laws, that, that dictated how those who would aspire to be devout Jews were supposed to observe the Sabbath. Uh, so this is what you see in this next scene. The Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, uh, to pick it up and walk? Now I want you to like, notice the contrast here. Because this contrast is really fascinating. It's just like, this contrast is just like, it, it makes you go, Huh. Because notice the values of Jesus and the values of the religious leaders. The value of Jesus is a man who has been unable to walk for 38 years. And that leads him to the behavior, that leads him to the action of healing. The religious leaders, their value is follow the rules. And so the man says, even like John is so, John is, this is so great. John says, the man who had been healed, his identity is now the man who had been healed. And the religious leader's like, what are you doing? Why are you carrying that mat? And he says, well, this guy just healed me, and he told me that I could pick up the mat. Now, what should they be paying attention to at that point? Wait a minute, somebody healed you? That's not even like, they're like, wait a minute, who told you to pick up your mat? They're totally paying attention to the wrong thing, right? The values of Jesus are the values that should shape our life as his disciples. Now, uh, the, the healed man doesn't know who healed him. Uh, because as soon as the healing happened, a crowd begins to gather. And Jesus, you know, Jesus uh, will kind of slip off sometimes. And so Jesus kind of, you know, sneaks off and slips off and does his thing. Um, and so then Jesus comes back. And we see that Jesus comes back to the man after this interaction with the religious leaders in verse 14. Later, Jesus found him in the temple uh, and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, some of you are like, come again, Jesus. Stop sinning. Uh, Jesus seems to be saying here, that there are times when sin leads to illness. However, in John 9, Jesus will say, not all sin leads to illness. And so the teaching of Jesus is very nuanced on this point. Sometimes sin does lead to physical illness, but not all of the time. Uh, and so we've got to be very careful as disciples of Jesus because we're not Jesus, right? Jesus knows when a sin is leading to illness and when a sin is not leading to illness. Uh, we do not. Uh, and so therefore we have to be very careful and very uh, wise in how we take that aspect of Jesus' teaching uh, that we never in any way uh, impinge on somebody things that we just simply don't no. 
Now, put yourself in the position of the healed man at this point. Uh, this guy just walks up and he heals you. You've not been able to walk for 38 years. Uh, you are, you, you, can, you can almost sense in his voice, right, in the scene earlier where he's been trying to get in the pool and he can't. Uh, and now all of a sudden, like, you're standing in the temple. He would not have been able to go into the temple for 38 years. He is now standing in the temple. The man who healed you comes to you and starts talking to you about your sin. How would you respond to that man? Would you ask questions? Would you say, yes, I believe? Like, help me understand more? Would you politely be like, ah, I'm not sure what I think about this? What this particular man does uh, is that he becomes an informant against Jesus. He goes to the religious leaders, and in going to the religious leaders, he says, Jesus is the one who healed me. And the consequence of that we're told is that now the religious leaders are even more set on killing Jesus. Again, the contrast is fascinating, right? Jesus is bringing life on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders are seeking death on the Sabbath. The contrasts are just absolutely staggering. The religious leaders didn't even bother to stop to look at the sign. All they cared about was a dude carrying a mat. The man who was healed received the sign. The sign was his. And yet, he completely missed Jesus. This is the warning that Jesus gave us last week, right? Remember when the man came to him, when the, when the uh, religious, the, not the religious official, I'm sorry, the royal official comes to him and says, my son is sick. And he said to him, all you want is signs. And we said, when we looked at that, it was like the danger of the sign is that you can focus on the sign and miss what the sign is pointing to. And that's as ridiculous as trying to go to Yosemite and seeing the sign for Yosemite and saying, I saw Yosemite Park. And you would think, oh, I would never do that. And yet, the very next sign story of Jesus, we see it happen. And this is very sobering for us. So what is the sign pointing to? What is, what is being revealed to us here about Jesus? Well, the, the answer to that is actually in the very next part of the story. Uh, so the very next part of the story is where Jesus begins then to have uh, yet another confrontation with the religious leaders. Uh, so because of this, verse 16 says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, uh, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense... Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now, we're going to unpack what Jesus says in a second. But the very next verse tells us that the religious leaders were now seeking to kill Jesus, not just because he was doing things on the Sabbath, but now they're seeking to kill Jesus because of blasphemy. Right? Jesus is now making himself equal with God. And in making himself equal with God, the religious leaders are saying, we are not having any of that. 
and they're seeking to kill him. So what did, what did Jesus say? What, what, is, what is the significance of Jesus' statement? My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. What's the significance of that that would cause religious leaders to say, oh, dude, we're dealing with blasphemy now. We got to get rid of this guy. Well, uh, Jesus here is making a statement, first of all, about God's relationship to the Sabbath. Remember, this is all happening in context to the Sabbath. So what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath, for those of you that have been in our Bible studies, we've been looking at Genesis 1 and 2. And when we looked at Genesis 1, we saw that God, you know, the first chapter of Genesis is laying out for us God's creative work. And it's structured for us in six days. And then the seventh day, which is the beginning of chapter 2, is a day where it says God rested. And that's the, the, the foundation of Sabbath, this idea of having a day of rest, is, begins for us in God, God's work as creator. But then, very interestingly, the next major uh, touch point for Sabbath in the scripture is actually found for us in the book of Exodus and in the book of Deuteronomy when God gives his ten commandments to the nation of Israel. And he says to them, you are to observe the Sabbath day. And he gives all kinds of stipulations and all kind of explanation about why. But there, the reason you keep the Ten Commandments is because God is your Savior. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then begins the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments flow out of God as Savior. So Sabbath is God as creator and God as savior providing something for you and for me. But here's the thing. God rests from his creative work on the Sabbath day, on that seventh day. But he doesn't rest from his work of guiding and governing all things. What we call his providence the most holy, wise, and powerful way in which God governs and rules over all things. And so Jesus seems to be saying here, remember that even on the Sabbath, my Father keeps doing the merciful and gracious work of caring for the creation. And so in the same way, I am now doing that merciful and gracious work of caring for those in the creation who have physical needs. I am simply continuing to do the work that my father has been doing. And the religious leaders are like, they, they understand what Jesus is saying. They understand that Jesus is saying, I am God. And they're not happy about it. Understandably so, right? I mean, blasphemy was and is a significant thing. But Jesus does the miracle on the Sabbath. And there are, we have seven recorded miracles that Jesus does on Sabbath days. Uh, we know that there are more, but we, well, we assume that there are more, but we know for sure of seven. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, so as disciples of Jesus, right, if his identity is the identity of God and out of his identity is God, uh, this value of caring for people and doing this merciful and gracious work of God, something that flows out of him. How much more for us, those who because 
of our faith in Jesus, our identity is that we are united with Christ. How much more so should our values reflect the values of Jesus? And say, God has given us the opportunity to show deeds of mercy and kindness to other people. The Sabbath was, was always, even in, if you read the Old Testament, the Sabbath always had stipulations that made provision. They always had, there was always wiggle room for you to show mercy to those in need on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was never simply a day of idleness. The Sabbath was never simply a day of just like, you know, being like all, right? The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of delight. It was supposed to be a day of life. And rest was one component, one important component of that. Jesus picks up on this a little bit more uh, in just a few verses later. This idea of, of understanding who he is and, and putting your faith and trust in him. When uh, as the verses 17 and 18 begin this extended time of teaching that Jesus does with the, with, the, with the religious leaders that we're not going to look at. But in that extended section of teaching, he says this, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Here's the thing, right? If you see what the sign, who, if you see who the sign is pointing to, and if we trust in the one that the signs are pointing to, if we trust in Jesus, we will have life. The religious leaders saw Jesus, and to them, they saw a man guilty of blasphemy. That was his identity to them. And so, of course, they rejected him. Of course, they didn't believe him. The man who was healed... For him, as best as we can tell, Jesus' identity was miracle worker. But that was it. And so once the miracle is done, what, what's left? And so the healed man also ends up missing what the sign was pointing to. Missing Jesus. So here's the question for us. The question for us is, as we see these signs, what are we seeing? What are the signs pointing to? Are they simply pointing to a religious figure from the, you know, ancient, or not the ancient years, from, you know, from Roman era, religious leader who was a really good rabbi and said some really inspiring things? And he's, a, you know, it's like Gandhi. Good, good example, someone we should follow. Someone who had some really wise things to say. Or, is he God? Is he, is he actually who he said that he is? And, and the signs are there to show you we have faith to see. He is God. And so therefore, when he heals on the Sabbath, he's just doing the kind of thing that his father has been doing all along. How will we respond to Jesus? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work. 
We thank you for your work of creation. We thank you for your work of sustaining all things. We thank you for the work that you have in guiding uh, history and our lives. We thank you for how you've revealed yourself to us in your word. And we thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you continue the work. That you continued it through your ministry, performing miracles, teaching, uh, but ultimately by dying on the cross and coming back to life three days later, by ascending to heaven and promising your future return. And we praise you, God, that through your Holy Spirit and through the union that we have with Jesus by faith, that we, as your disciples, continue the same type of work. That we, through our deeds of mercy and compassion, through our uh, sharing in both word and deed the good news of the gospel, that we continue the same type of work. Help us to be a church, Lord, that cares for physical and spiritual needs in our own midst and within our own church, but also uh, in San Diego so that we can properly reflect you and your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.